0: The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Now I'm going to read today's scripture, which is from Mark 14, 12 through 25. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. They are prepared for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me they began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, is it I? He said to them, it is one of the 12, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the son of man goes as it is written of him, but woe to the man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had never been born. And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it,
1: Thank you, Aaron. Good morning. My name is Lee Eric Fesco, and I'm the Director of Discipleship at Christ Presbyterian Church. It's a real privilege once again to be with you. Uh, and, uh, and thank you to Stacy for, for having me here. It's always a treat. Um, the Arkansas River, rising in the Sawatch Rains of the North or of the Rocky Mountains near Leadville in central Colorado. It's a river that generally runs east to southeast and runs for 1,460 miles. It has a total drop of 11,400 feet. From where the Arkansas River begins near Leadville, Colorado, some 1,000 miles back to the east, in eastern Grundy County, Illinois, there's a confluence of two rivers that join together to form the Illinois River. This is a river that runs for 273 miles and forms the basis for the Illinois Waterway. From where the Illinois River starts in eastern Grundy County, Illinois, some 1,300 miles back to the west, near Bozeman, Montana, is where the Missouri River starts and is the longest river in North America, which runs east and south for 2,341 miles. These three rivers, the Arkansas, the Illinois, and the Missouri River, though their starting points are hundreds of miles apart, starting in three different parts of the country, these rivers share something very significant. It's not their starting point. It's not their length or even the direction in which they run. What they have in common is where they conflate. The body of water to which they ultimately join. The Arkansas, the Illinois, and the Missouri rivers are major, all major tributaries of the mighty Mississippi River. I dare say that many of you haven't much knowledge of the Arkansas, Illinois, or Missouri rivers, but I'll bet you've heard of the Mississippi River from a traditional source in northern Minnesota. So at the very top of the continental United States, it flows generally south, For 2,320 miles of the Mississippi River Delta in the Gulf of Mexico, the very bottom of the continental United States. So it runs the whole length of our entire country, the continental United States. The bread is my body, the blood of the covenant, and poured out for many. I want you to take note of those three phrases from our, our reading today. This bread is my body, the blood of the covenant, and poured out for many. I want you to think of those three phrases as the Arkansas, Illinois, and Missouri rivers. No, they're not bodies of water, but those phrases taken from our passage today, believe it or not, aren't phrases that are, shall we say, unique to the book of Mark. They have their origins elsewhere. They are, in a sense, miles apart from each other, But they find their rest in the same place. No, not the Mississippi River, but in the Lord's Supper. When we read about the Lord's Supper, we we tend to read about it strictly from a New Testament perspective. And why not? When we think about the Lord's Supper, we think about the elements. We think about the bread and the fruit of the vine. And and we'll even think what the bread and the fruit of the vine symbolize, the body and blood of Christ. But what we fail to realize is that the Lord's Supper, in a manner of speaking, is, is the final stop. There were numerous other stops before the Lord's Supper that give it meaning and clarity, and I dare say many of us might not have ever realized this. We'll take the Lord's Supper and never realize how the Old Testament has been pointing us to this glorious moment, how this moment fulfills the words and actions that pointed to it for hundreds of years before it happened. And why is that important? Why is that important? Why is it important that we recognize the Old Testament pointers to the new? Well, if you're a lot like me, and I'm willing to bet that most of you are in this regard, you've had your fair share of doubts. And I'm willing to bet you have your days, or maybe even longer than days, where you look to the heavens and ask yourself, is all of this really real? Is all of this really real? Or have I bought into some legend or myth that's been passed down to me over the ages? My uh, my sons and I We're watching a video a few months back, and in this video they were showing sea creatures that live hundreds and hundreds of feet below sea level. And these creatures live down there and they'll never see the light of day. If not for the cameras that can travel to these depths, we would never even know that they were there. And these creatures, they're beautifully intricate. They're colorful and complex, and the way they move, even the way they move, even the way they move is majestic and, and so unique, and, 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 and it's like nothing you've ever seen before on the, on the surface of the earth. And my son and I, we have this phrase now when we see things that are like this in the world, we'll say to each other, you see? When you see something like that, something that's been hidden from mankind for, for thousands of years, just, just living down there being beautiful, When you see that there's something in the world like that, what other conclusion is there other than acknowledging that there must be a God who takes pleasure in creating something like that? There has to be a God. When you see these pieces of the Old Testament and you see that they they happen seemingly independent of one another hundreds of years before Christ and you see them come together in one spot, in one place, one moment in time, how they all come together and flow together... What does that do for you? Friends, let me tell you, it has to strengthen your faith. It has to leave you to conclude, what, what mere mortal? What, what group of mortals could have thought up something like this and put it together and, and make it all work? There's no other possible conclusion than to stop you dead in your tracks and acknowledge the wonder of God Almighty. Let me tell you what I mean. Let me, let me show you the miracle that is your Bible that you have in your hands today. First of all, our passage tells us that the disciples, Jesus and his disciples were gathering together for the Passover. At this point in time, this was a ritual, a tradition that the Israelites had been observing for hundreds of years. As many of you might know, the Passover has its roots in the story of the Exodus. Perhaps most of you have a rudimentary understanding of of the story of the Exodus. The Israelite people, that is the, the people of God, were held in slavery in Egypt, and Moses was called by God to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. Moses was called to march into the the, the court of Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. Let let the people of God go that they may serve me, the Lord Almighty. Not you, Pharaoh. Let my people go that they may serve me. And as the, the account continues, Pharaoh refused and as a result of his hardness of heart, the Lord sent a series of, of plagues to torment Pharaoh and the Egyptians until Pharaoh ultimately relented. It was the 10th and final plague that was the most devastating of all. The Lord would pass through the land and take all the firstborn of every household, both man and beast, it says. Every household would fall under the judgment of God except Except for the houses that were marked by the blood of the unblemished lamb. The houses marked on the two doorposts and the top of the doorway. The top and sides, the houses marked as such the Lord would pass over and those houses would not fall under the judgment of God. The houses, listen to the gospel message here. The houses protected by the blood of the lamb would not see judgment. And after this final plague in Egypt, Pharaoh relented long enough for the people of God to begin their exodus from Egypt. They began their exodus where they went from captive to free. The exodus where they left their life of captivity and entered into a life of freedom. Hundreds of years later, this theme would be repeated yet again. The people of God would find themselves in captivity yet again, this time under Babylonian rule. And it's in the book of Isaiah where the prophet repeats this theme of Exodus. And yes, the prophet speaks of an Exodus which harkens back to the Egyptian Exodus, but also, it's also a message that speaks not only the present situation, but he speaks of a future Exodus, a final and ultimate Exodus. And this is, this is a major theme in the book of Isaiah, an ultimate and final Exodus for God's people. And this, my friends, is how you should think of your own salvation. Not coincidentally, your own salvation experience as an exodus, an exodus where someone like Moses, whose name was Jesus, led you from captive to free. This this is something you have to realize about the Old Testament. I never tire of saying this. Every single narrative, every single psalm, every single person, every single law in the Old Testament existed for one purpose, to point us to the person of Jesus Christ, That's what Luke 24 tells us. So the exodus itself was meant to show us thousands of years before he was here, the story of Jesus. The exodus from being captives in Babylon was meant to show us the story of Jesus. In that one day we would be delivered from our greatest enemy of all, our greatest suppressor, sin and death. And as the book of Mark opens... In the first three verses, the gospel writer quotes from the book of Isaiah, speaking of this impending and ultimate and final exodus. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. And then we come to the passage today. Realize what's happening here. Realize what's happening here. It's a stunning evening for for the disciples. A lot's happening and there's no question that they're probably in a state of shock. They're, they're, they're gathering to observe the Passover meal. Remember, this is a meal they've been observing all their lives, year after year. If it wasn't shocking enough that they, were, they just learned that one of them would betray the Lord, but now Jesus does this they sit down to observe the Passover, the feast which symbolizes the events of the Exodus. Jesus takes the bread, he takes the bread from the Passover meal and he says, Take, this is my body. Now stop right there. Stop right there and realize the gravity of what's, what's being said. This, this is the first of the f- three phrases we said we we're going to look at today. This is the Arkansas River, okay? Take this. Take this bread. This bread is my body. The bread which would have been made of bitter herbs to remind the partakers of the suffering they endured while in slavery. Jesus says this, this is my body. A proper response from the disciples might have been, what? What? No, it's not. No, it's not. What do you mean, this bread is your body? This bread points us to the Exodus. Do you see what's going on here? This would would be like me going out and buying a Christmas tree and getting the Christmas tree, setting it up, putting all the ornaments on it, putting all the lights on it, and turning it on, then bringing my family in to see and asking them, what do you think of our Easter tree? No, Dad, uh, this is a Christmas tree. No, no, no. This is an Easter tree. But dad, it's December. Yes, but it's an Easter tree. My family would think I'd lost my mind, right? It's an impossible story anyway. My wife is the one who meticulously decorates the Christmas tree tree year after year. But this is what Jesus is doing. He's reassigning the meaning of something very specific that the disciples and the Jewish people have understood to mean. Something very specific for nearly their entire existence as people. This bread, this bread is, this bread is my body, In this moment, Jesus is equating his body to an element of the Passover as if to signal that it's his body. It's his body that will bring about the final and ultimate exodus. He's saying the final and ultimate exodus that Isaiah spoke of, the final and ultimate exodus that that first exodus pointed to is is upon us now. The final and ultimate exodus is about to be fulfilled by my body. The bread may point to the exodus, but the exodus points to me. Therefore, this bread is my body. Oh, dear disciples, every Exodus event in the Bible that you've ever read and heard about were all just pointers to the real thing. The real thing is before your eyes. This bread is my body, and it will take you out of captivity. Did the disciples understand this? No, of course they didn't. Not in the moment. They'd only seen and heard pointers up to this point. They they had no real concept of the real thing. It's, it's It's like seeing pictures of the Grand Canyon. And you've only seen pictures of the Grand Canyon your whole life. And being told this, this is the Grand Canyon. And pictures are great, aren't they? I love pictures. But pictures give us an idea of what the real thing is. But it's not really as good as the Grand Canyon itself. The picture of the Grand Canyon doesn't compare to the Grand Canyon. So no, the disciples were were pretty unsure of what was going on in this moment. But this is the kind of reassurance that we need. This is the kind of reassurance you and I need, don't we? We may not understand what's going on in the moment. In fact, it seems we seldom understand what's going on in the moment. Life life catches us off guard in unimaginable ways. But who has been making plans from all eternity? Jesus is our bread. His his body is our bread, which will lead us to the ultimate and final exodus. This bread is my body. My family and I, we just returned from uh, vacation yesterday. It was a spring break for my boys and uh, we managed to get some some time away with each other out of town. And admittedly, COVID has made everything uh, unusual, very unusual, and, and I'm sure you've experienced this, but everything is a little different than normal. But typically, typically when we travel, Wherever it is that we're going, the beach, the mountains, the theme park of sorts, wherever it is, it's not just about the destination, right? Just as exciting for us as the destination itself is the food in which we'll partake. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner is a thrill for us as much as anything we've driven or flown hundreds of miles to get to. My boys, my boys are at the age, they're they're teenagers now, and so they, they literally eat everything, just everything, they keep eating it. And when they finish one meal, they start talking about the next meal. You know, and especially if we're going someplace near the coast, we love to go find a little hole in the wall seafood place and indulge in whatever the local catch of the day is. And again, it's like an event for us. It's an event. The meal is an event. Have you noticed? Have you noticed how significant meals are? Not just in the American culture, but but in just about every culture you can think of, there's intimacy in sharing a meal. There's something you might say that's spiritual about sharing a meal with someone. Our Bible would agree with this sentiment. How many significant instances are there in the Scriptures whereby the event is framed around a meal? Where where is all of history headed for those who are in Christ? The marriage supper of the Lamb. We're headed for the feast. The ultimate feast. And what makes it a sacred feast is the fact that we all do it together. The togetherness is part of the sacrament. There was a meal that took place in the Old Testament, once again, all the way back in the days of Moses. God gave his law to his people. And when, when the Lord gave his law to his people, it was sealed with a sign of, of the covenant. The covenant basically stated God would give his blessing to Israel in exchange for their obedience to the law. Simply stated, if, if Israel is obedient, then God will bless them. If they disobey, then God will punish them. And again, this covenant, when it was received by Moses, it was sealed with a sacrifice where Moses sprinkled the blood of the sacrifice before the people. And listen to this. This is from Exodus 24, 8. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Did you hear that? The blood of the covenant. That's that's our second phrase. That's our Illinois River. Moses sprinkled the blood of the lamb before the people and made, No, behold, the blood of the covenant. And then Moses, the priests, and the 70 elders of Israel went up there at the feet of God and they shared a meal. They ate and drank together, Exodus 24, 9 to 11. Now, how about that? Do you know that phrase, the blood of the covenant? They use that phrase as the leaders of God's people share a meal together in the presence of God. That's in the Old Testament. Do you want to know where the other place, the blood of the covenant, where that phrase is used in the Bible other than here as they ratify the covenant at Sinai? The only other place that the blood of the covenant is used is right here at the Lord's Supper. How about that? The leaders of the church, the apostles, breaking bread together in the presence of God as they ratify the new covenant. As Jesus says in Luke's account of the very same event, this is the new covenant in my blood. It's a repeat of the same event that occurred hundreds of years before. The blood of the animal sprinkled before the people as the elders, as they shared a meal and ratified the covenant in the presence of God. It's happening all over again. They shared a meal and ratified the covenant in the presence of God. It's happening right in front of their eyes as Jesus is about to pour out his blood. He's eating with the elders, the apostles of the church, and they share this meal in the presence of Jesus, God incarnate, as he proclaims, this is the new covenant in my blood. And even that phrase, the new covenant, that's steeped in Old Testament imagery. That, that language of the new covenant, where does that come from? That comes from Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 34. Listen to this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Not like the covenant at Sinai, but this is a new one, a new covenant. My covenant that they, that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. It's happening right here, right here at the Lord's Supper. Do you, do you think the disciples put all this together it was happening? Do you think they caught it? I'm sure they didn't. I'm sure they didn't catch it. But isn't this the kind of reassurance that we need? We may not understand what's going on in the moment. In fact, we seldom understand what's going on in the moment. Life catches us off, off guard in unimaginable ways. But who has been making plans from all eternity? Who has been making the rivers flow in different directions and then having them come and meet in one place? Jesus is our bread. His blood is the new covenant. It's a covenant of grace sealed by the blood of the Lamb. See, it's in moments like this where we find in the Scripture, where I have to take a step back, and I I have to marvel, as it removes the doubt from my mind as, as to who's in control of the universe. You start to connect the dots and realize that no human could have put these events together and mirror each other so perfectly, yet it's so altogether subtle. You'd miss it if you weren't looking for it. God is a God of detail. He's in the details. Who else could think to include such detail between such different and separate events, thousands of years apart, and then bring them together in one, one meal to the Lord's? It's amazing to me. The bread is my body, the blood of the covenant, and poured out for many. This is our, our Missouri River phrase. Poured out for many. In the second part of verse 24, back in Mark 14, Jesus said, speaking of his blood, which is poured out for many. By this point, you should realize I'm not just highlighting things that Jesus is saying off the cuff. Let me read for you Isaiah fifty-three twelve. It says, therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many And makes intercession for the transgressors. uh, transgressors. If we were to divide up the book of Isaiah into themes, it's chapters 40 to 66 where we see much of Isaiah's attention devoted to the theme of the suffering servant. And so here at the Lord's Supper, by Christ making reference to that verse, he's telling his disciples that it's his death as the suffering servant that would secure their salvation. It's as if he's signaling to them, guys, I am the suffering servant. This is the new covenant in my blood poured out for many, poured out to death. It's me. I am the suffering servant. I will bear your sins and I will make intercession for your transgressions. One more signal to the disciples. Do you think they got it? Did they catch it in this moment? I'm sure they didn't. I'm sure they didn't catch it, but but isn't this the kind of assurance we need? We may not understand what's going on in the moment. In fact, it seems we seldom understand what's going on in the moment. Life catches us off guard in unimaginable ways. But who has been making plans from all eternity? God has. And like the tributaries that feed the mighty Mississippi, there are all these events that were seemingly separate, seemingly flowing their own path, that ultimately come together in one moment and that's what we're seeing in the Lord's Supper. The conflation of all these events that were foretold and alluded to for hundreds of years before Christ. You may have heard this metaphor before, but, it, but it's like a rose. Think of a rose. Think of a rosebud. Just the rosebud itself. Is it a rose? Yes, it's still a rose. But it's a, it's, it's a tightly wound up bud. You, you can't see all the color, you can't see all the beauty, but it's there. It's still a rose. This is, this is the gospel to all the Old Testament saints and even to the disciples in this moment, in the presence of Jesus as they ate the Last Supper. No, they didn't see it. They didn't see the full beauty of the rose, but it was right there before their eyes. They're still in the presence of the rose. Do you, do you see what this means for you and me, though? We get to see the full beauty of the rose, we get to see all the colors. And all the detail and all the beauty that's the rose. We get to see the rose that the disciples didn't get to see in that moment. And not only do we get to see the beauty and the detail, but but we can also get a taste. We can get a taste for what it all points to beyond the moment. Yes, we get to celebrate the fulfillment of all the Old Testament streams that find their way to this moment. But we also get to taste just a taste of the future glory that it points to to us as well. We, We get a taste for the feast. The wedding supper of the Lamb, where we'll all get to sit together and celebrate what the Lamb, His body, and His blood did on our behalf. But here's what else it means for you and me, in case you didn't catch it already. Just like the disciples, we don't always catch what's going on in the moment. In fact, we seldom do. We seldom see the big picture. We seldom see the full rose in every moment. But here's the reassurance that we need, that we need. Who has been making plans from all eternity? The one who tells his disciples, go go find the man in town carrying a a jar of water. Go to him. He'll tell you where we're going to meet. How did he know that? Because he's been making plans from all eternity. That's how he knows. Or how about this? How did Jesus know who would betray him? He wasn't caught off guard. No, he wasn't. He's been making plans from all eternity. Things happen exactly as he said they would. What are you feeling anxious about? What's, What's keeping you up at night? What is it that's got you worried? What is it that's got you feeling overwhelmed? Can I share something with you? There's a God that's been making plans from all eternity and all throughout he's been thinking of you. The God of the universe who takes pleasure in hiding the beauty of a sea creature miles below the earth's surface is the same God who ordered your steps, takes you by the hand, and pulls beauty out of the ashes. And that, my friends, is what this table tells us. Yes, it reminds us of the body given for you that leads us and leads you in an exodus from sin and death. It tells us of the blood that was poured out for you. And it speaks of the covenant promise that assures us that what he did makes you right before the father. And if that weren't enough, it reminds us that He secured for us a seat at the table at the wedding supper of the lamb. Come and taste what he's done for you from all eternity. Would you pray with me?